Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Convery. I am your host, Brian Convery. On today's episode, we are going to take a slightly different twist to the Coffee with Convery podcast with the introduction of Sports Talk, where my invited guests will share how being an athlete has helped them to help skill building, their mindsets, and their futures. Sports Talk also helps us to understand sometimes the hurdles as well as barriers that some athletes face while being in school, participating in sports, and to trying to balance that transition into the workplace. My guest today is Craig Yeh, a digital marketing strategist and consultant, a founder and a podcast host, so I probably can take some lessons from him, a content creator, and a Team Canada bobsledder. Craig is a graduate and valedictorian from Simon Fraser University with a Bachelor of Arts degree with distinction in communications, including a cooperative education designation. I am so looking forward to this coffee chat, Craig, and to catch up with you and hear more about you and your incredible journey. So welcome to the show. And maybe you could share a little bit more about you. Um, I, I obviously shared your introduction and your successes, but I wondered if you could share a little bit more about who you are. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Um, a little bit about myself, born and raised here in Vancouver, BC. As you said, uh, Simon Fraser University graduate. Um, I think I ended up doing five or six co-ops uh, to get that designation. And right now I'm a digital marketing strategist who does some freelance consulting uh, and also currently a digital marketing and media manager at Blonix Biosciences. Um, the side project that I've founded um, with my solid team here in Vancouver is called Vancity Health. Uh, essentially, we highlight local health, wellness, and fitness businesses and people um, here in Vancouver. And from an athletic background, I played football in high school, uh, and then I chose not to move forward with it, which was a fairly difficult decision. Uh, I've second-guessed that quite a bit in the past, uh, going on to university, uh, so I actually didn't do any varsity sport in my first year, but I think in my second or third year, I actually moved on to rowing um, and actually was under uh, Ben Rutledge, who is a former Olympian for, for Team Canada. Uh, so that was an amazing experience. And then right after graduation, I found my way to Team Canada's bobsled team as a 2019. And um, that has presented so many opportunities and challenges along the way, but uh, overall, uh, a really fun journey to be on. Sounds incredible. And I, yeah, I remember actually talking about crew because I rode crew back in high school. It's, it's a great sport um, when you can get out on the water and works every muscle, but you would know more about that than me these days with the fact of uh, all the different things you've been doing. So really, really interesting to see where things are, Craig, and exciting to hear. Um, as I kind of like get going and talking about some rapid fire questions, one of the things I always like to ask is a couple questions. So I'm going to Throw a few at you. Uh, first is, what is your favorite most used emoji? That's a tough one. Um, I think it's a tie between the shrug and the fire emoji. Uh, probably because my conversations rarely have a straightforward answer. And then I'd say when one is found, it's pretty fire. So they go hand in hand. I love it. I love it. That's the first shrug and fire. So petition is on for emojis. <laughs> Uh, food, if you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Even though my cuisine of like preference is probably Italian, I don't think anything beats just a perfect burger in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Going for the burger, going for the burger. 
Uh, how about favorite way to spend a day off? Okay. I would say, at least here in Vancouver, I'd say in the summer, um, good tunes, great friends, um, got to play some sort of sport. So either some football, maybe some beach volleyball, lying in the sun on the beach somewhere. Uh, but in the winter, probably two weeks ago, um, probably up at Whistler, uh, some sort of acti activity, could be hiking, could be snowboarding, uh, but definitely ending the day at the Scandinavian Spa, hopefully getting a massage and just going into that eucalyptus steam room. That is the perfect day. <laughs> oh man, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Have to come out there one of these days and experience that. Sounds like an amazing, amazing day off. Um, how about hit the snooze bar uh, button or wake up immediately? Okay, so I know a lot of people say to never hit snooze, and I think there's uh, a lot of people who give leadership talks will always say something like that, but I really like the snooze button. I think I'll usually set my alarm 10 minutes before just to hit the snooze button. There you go. It gives you the power of your waking up, I guess, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what is your favorite word? Okay, favorite word. Um, I'd have to say ecstatic, because sometimes you're excited, then every once in a while, you just hit that next level and you're ecstatic about something. Um, but if you get to listen to some of my early podcasts, especially like one through four, um, most of my audience or critiques would say it's the word gotcha, because I kept saying the word gotcha. gotcha. There you go. Ecstatic. I like ecstatic. And that's a, that's a good word. It shows a lot of energy. So... You know, we talked a little bit about your journey and part of this show and part of the reason why, as I shared with you, why I wanted to do it was to really bring light to the student journeys and to the young talent and people that have uh, made it through various transitions from high school, post-secondary sports, work, all of the above. And, you know, as I think about and what you've shared already, but, you know, is there anything you'd like to share maybe about some of those transitional moments or maybe even how sports and fitness have played a role in your life and what you have learned along the way? Yeah, um, I'd say early on, I was like your uh, chubby, non-athletic kid, I'd say all the way until grade nine. Um, I was a, you could almost say a hardcore gamer playing PC games, um, but then my brothers kind of bullied me into playing football at our high school, so I kind of had to. Um, and I, I really didn't like it for the first three years. I just had I was kind of forced into it. Um, but I appreciated the, the dedication of all the athletes around me. And I think it was, you know, that first experience, you know, playing football at my high school at Vancouver College that really opened my eyes to, to understand why athletes are such great people and you know their mentality is so unique and different. So I think some of the common traits that you might hear of athletes, especially transitioning into the workplace is just the dedication, the perseverance, um, <laughs> things like accountability. Uh, usually your, your good athletes will be accountable. <laughs> they'll, they'll take responsibility. Um, I think time management, especially when you go to um, you the university level and you have to balance being a student athlete and you're spending, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you know, to the sport. And then you have all, I don't know how you find the other time to get your classes done and your coursework done. Um, having a team first mentality, I think is another common one. Um, the ability to handle criticism yeah. that can be yeah. big. Um, 
and then simple things like just coachability, um, very common one, you know, getting back up, you can be hit so, so hard, um, but they will just, you know, keep persevering, keeping, keep getting back up. And then, you know, I think a whole chunk of athletes will really develop that leadership skill set. Uh, so, you're, like, you know, your captains, your system captains come in and, you know, even if you're not given a captain designation, there's a lot of athletes will show leadership, but not be formally recognized by it. I know I've, I've worked with a lot of teammates who've been amazing leaders, but they may not have been formally recognized. But I think two that are kind of uncommon traits of athletes, and that has really helped me both professionally and personally, um, having been in so many sports and even just from football is having a delayed sense of gratification. I think that's something, especially in today's fast paced, um, short attention span world, it's, it's so important to have because everyone expects, you know, a return right away. But when you're in sport, you learn that you have to keep working at it and working at it and working at it. Repetition, repetition, it's hard. You don't win right away. You have to wait until the next game or you have to wait till the end of the playoffs or you have to wait uh, for the regatta. Um, and you, you don't get crazy fast or crazy strong overnight. You get crazy fast and crazy strong over a long period of time. It takes, and there's so many factors to it. Um, so I think having that delayed sense of gratification is I think one of the best things I've learned from sport. Uh, and in other cases, I think the other uncommon one or common one could be uh, just fostering that competitive edge. I think having an athlete, especially in sales, a lot of athletes transition to sales, just having that competitive edge can be very, very beneficial. But at least from a marketing standpoint, it's been very beneficial for me as well. That's amazing. And, you know, talking about all those skills and all of the actual skills that we look for in young talent and 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 quite frankly, in, in, in all talent. Um, and, and so often, um, you know, I find students that are in athletics or in sports, you know, sometimes struggle with getting that first interview because someone who might not be thinking with what you just shared, which is so inspiring, um, that, you know, just because they didn't have a co-op or an internship doesn't mean they don't have these skills, these transferable skills and the ability to bring that to the workplace. Totally. Um, a lot of, you know, athletes like myself right out of high school, like I chose, you know, not to continue pursuing sport going into university. And, you know, I've totally missed a lot of those skills that I gained or wanted to continue developing just because, you know, I didn't know that it could get me that much farther. But looking back at it, what are the most important skills that I have developed and have been very valuable in the workplace? The exact ones I just mentioned, um, yeah. because you you can learn the technical side whenever. That, that, that's 100% correct. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And super insightful for our listeners because I, I want to inspire young talent and athletes to consider, you know, putting their name and putting their foot forward for these opportunities. And, you know, someone that's hearing this maybe will be more inspired to think differently about some of the folks that are, are coming forward to interview for their own roles. So, Thanks, Craig, for sharing that. Uh, on that note, there's, you know, sometimes sorry, too, the other. Oh, go ahead. Interrupt sorry. You. <laughs> I'm going to interrupt you just a little bit. As yeah. someone who has been on the other side of interviews, it always makes me so interested when I see an application from like any type of athlete, especially these varsity athletes. Um, I, because I know that they'll have, you know, 
a lot of the traits that I mentioned coming into the interview. And I know it really tells a lot about a person, especially if they've been with a certain sport for, for how many years, um, really just shows that, that dedication, the perseverance. And the hours they've put into it, right? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. So if you think, um, one of the other areas when I, when I like to talk about too, is, um, you know, looking at some of the, the school and, and the, the opportunities there thinking about maybe. Is there anything that you think could be taught in school that maybe isn't? Yes, yeah. um, especially over the past year, it's definitely financial literacy. And that might be a common question, but I have had so many friends, uh, like 20 to 28 years old, primarily, just show a lack of understanding of the basics of just saving your money. And I think especially when everyone got forced to stay at home with COVID, it's just been the age of the retail investor and people want to get into investing, but people have no idea how to get into investing and they're so shy from it. And especially when you're, you know, young and, you know, you could be 18, 19, 20, 21. If you don't know all about your TFSA and your RSPs and, you know, unregistered accounts and, you know, how to save your money, choosing a brokerage, just the, the fundamental, like, and, and basics. Um, I think that really should be something taught in school. Uh, especially before people turn 18 with, with that TFSA. I think that's like the first place you start off with. And I've been super fortunate to have great financial literacy taught to me during my time at RBC. But when I was an intern over there, um, I've also been very fortunate to have my dad as a financial advisor. So he's talked me through a whole bunch of this stuff. But I think that is an essential thing that needs to be taught in school because, yeah, you have these 20, 25 plus year olds not knowing a single thing about you know, saving their money or, or, or budget allocation. And it's just wild to me. It, it is wild, but it's also the way, you know, things come together. And, and, you know, to be honest, this has been a common thread, even in the week that I've been going live with these uh, financial literacy has been the common thread of lack of knowledge, lack of preparation. And it's such a life skill. Totally. And you know, we can even talk, you can uh, go further to talk about like real estate and, um, you know, thinking about cryptocurrency, like there is just so much more time that people have had. They are now exploring these things, or at least my network has been, and they're always just kind of end up coming to me because they, they have no idea what they're doing. And I'm like, I'm so surprised that you, that you don't know this. Um, at this age, especially as they get older and old, being older than me, I actually created a YouTube video. It's unlisted, so you can't search for it, but I had to send everyone. And it was just me talking to myself for an hour on Zoom on a Zoom recording, just explaining the basics of how all of these works. Like if you want to open up an investing account, so you're going to go to Google and you're going to do this and, um, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. That's, that's helpful for your friends. And, uh, again, maybe for some of our academia partners or career counselors that are listening to uh, this is a good area to maybe thinking twice about uh, <laughs> to help the overall skill building of, of the next generation yeah. um, and our generation. Um, as um, getting a little bit more on the personal side now, uh, I always like to hear and I know our audience likes to hear and understand, you know, people's journeys, but also maybe on a little bit more of a personal perspective. Is there anything you're, you know, comfortable or feel you can share maybe with me and the audience about what's been your biggest challenge in life and how, how you were over uh, able to overcome that? Yeah, um, I think when I think of the biggest challenge that I've had to overcome and 
not just recently, just my entire life has probably been the fact my parents divorced right when I was born uh, mm. and living earlier on um, doing the whole, you know, spend every other week and with my, with my dad um, in another city, you know, having to sky train on, you know, like Friday nights, uh, Sunday nights. Um, and then when my brother, you know, turned of age, you know, was by myself for, for several years. Um, and I think it was hard just seeing, you know, other people just enjoy family because I knew I was never a part of, you know, a fully whole one. Um, so I think that hit me hard early on and I bring it up because there's a lot of other stories worse than mine. Um, there's a lot of stories that aren't as, you know, tough as that people have had a lot better, but I think the biggest thing that I've come to realize is and this might be um, a little odd to hear, but I think the more pain that you feel in life or the more obstacles that you've, you've come to overcome or have dealt with, it really builds your character. It makes you so much more empathetic with other people who have gone through those things or uh, makes you a little bit more empathetic for the people who've gone through even worse things. And when I look at what has made me the person I am today, it's because of, you know, trials and tribulations I had to deal with growing up. Um, I know when my mom passed away a few years ago, that was also another thing that, you know, hit me hard, but I knew after, you know, the grieving period of time that, you know, I can relate a lot better to other people, especially in the workplace when, you know, other families are going through, you know, sickness and illness, um, you know, potentially death in the family and, uh, how you can talk to them and be relatable and, you know, being there for them. Um, as much as, you know, we all have our skeletons in the closet, one of the biggest things, you know, talking outside of just, you know, work and, um, you know, all that professional standpoint, it's being there for other people. It's just, just being a human being and being kind. And I think that has enabled me to be, you know, the person I am today and has made me very relatable and has helped me relate to a lot of other people. So I think even though you might be going through some, some difficult issues and, um, same thing can be said for or I think the same thing can be said for mental illness the, the, and other things um, that might be challenges in your life right now, maybe with the isolation due to COVID, just know that, you know, the pain that you're enduring is, is only temporary. Um, there's such great opportunity and ability to just relate with other people and, you know, yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, listening to you explain that it's, uh, you know, that whole uh, right now it's it, of course more than ever, but, you know, having experienced what you have and, 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 you know, empathy and emotional intelligence. Um, I remember hearing as a young person that I apparently had emotional intelligence. I didn't know what it meant. Um, I didn't know if it was a good thing, <laughs> but when you kind of think of it now and, and think about those human skills and humanity and, being there for others. I mean, I, I, you know, congratulations and good for you for, for doing that because that's, that goes a long way and it also builds trust and it builds relationships and the whole workplace, the whole world is about relationships. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. Craig. Um, one thing uh, I recently read was, uh, this quote that said yesterday's dreams aren't always today's reality. And it was something I had seen online and. I built it into this podcast because I think if you think about that and you think about the idea that priorities change over time, um, it's okay, right? It's okay to change your priorities and, and things happen and sometimes for the better. Um, 
I also know people struggle with this and say, well, I, I plan to do this and I'm not on my course and I'm not, um, the one I often get is I'm not, I don't have a, a internship in my career path, which I don't even know what my career path is still at this stage. Um, I think multiple career paths are good, but yeah, could you, could you share maybe, um, how your priorities change and how, how that and why, and how that's happened over time? Yeah, I think, um, I've, I've talked about this before where early on in my university career, I kind of didn't know what to do, but I heard of something called management consulting and essentially, you know, it's very competitive to become a management consultant, especially for the big three, uh, especially for uh, McKinsey, McKinsey and company. So I set my goal, I think in my like first year, maybe my second year to be a McKinsey intern. And at least here in Vancouver, there's not a whole lot of them. <laughs> um, so I think the epitome of my dedication, um, was paying for and listening to Victor Chang's case interview frameworks and walkthroughs of sample cases and, and then listening to them on the way to like rowing practice at 4.30 in the morning. I think there was a certain point on my drive where I'm like, wow, could I be doing more? <laughs> uh, and I think it ended up, I, I did everything I possibly could with, with the grades, with the work experience, the volunteer experience. Uh, and I think I come, I came across an ex McKinsey consultant who was, uh, I think she was about 33 at the time. And we were just having a really good conversation. And one of the questions I asked her was, if you could do it all over again, would you do it? And what shocked me was without hesitation, she said, no. And as dedicated so much time <laughs> into <laughs> becoming, you know, this management consultant, or at least this intern for him, um, kind of. It, it, it kind of sparked me because I would not expect that as the answer, but what she ended up telling me was, you know, she, even though she got to work on amazing projects and got to, you know, travel to all these great destinations, um, and work with some amazing people at the end of the day, because she did that right from the get go and was, was working those 60 to 80 plus hours a week. Um, she was living out of hotels, um, she really couldn't develop a lot of relationships or meaningful relationships in that time. She was very more, very much so work oriented. And she, even though her friends would be posting on Instagram, they're not making nearly as much money as her working on as many cool projects. It looked like they're having the time of their lives and it looks like they were enjoying their lives, but really it looked like they were happy and I'll get back to happiness in a second, but that kind of shocked me a little bit. And then I remember thinking to myself at home after that conversation was my, am, am I doing this for the right reasons or why am I doing this? And of course I wanted the prestige of, you know, being the best and then being a McKinsey intern. Um, I already signed up for like a Harvard class or a uh, course online to even just get Harvard on my resume. And <laughs> it's, it, it was, it was kind of eye-opening and I knew that, you know, I, I did value my time and I did really want to play flight football on, on, on the weekdays. <laughs> I didn't want to be, you know, spending, you know, working late into the night at work every day. Um, and you no, know, I'm not saying anything against McKinsey and company, not at all. I think there's some, I have a lot of friends that have gone on to uh, become management consultants, some of them at McKinsey. And I think they're doing it, you know, for their own reasons and they're happy doing it totally. But for me personally it was, you know what, I'd rather be not paid as much in my 20s, but to be able to have time and to be able to just be a little bit more happier, because that's what makes me happy. 
and, you know, spending time with friends and going out and, um, you know, traveling. So I'd say long story short, my priorities have really changed to valuing time, but also being happy. And in 2021, my goal has been, um, to be purposeful with my time. And as, as small as that is, it's, it's actually been pretty difficult to do when you really think of it hour by hour. Uh, and it has really guided me to cut a lot of things out of my life over the past two months. And I believe moving forward, it will even do more so. Uh, but it's also helped me focus on honestly just spending my time more wisely, um, such as being on your show. So <laughs> that's how it's changed. And it's definitely guided my career path and professional uh, yeah, my professional life and my personal life. And I think for anyone who might be younger or might be still considering, we know which career they don't really know which one's right for them. Uh, one of the books that helped me a lot given to my mentor, so shout out to Colin McRae for, for shout, uh, giving me this book. It was uh, Designing Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, where in a nutshell, it, teach, it shows you that, you know, your life is not just one linear path. There's not just one goal to being happy. Um, they kind of say that your life can be prototyped and for you to be happy one day, there's can be multiple ways to get there. And yeah, you might need to try a, B and C, but you have to understand that it's not just route a to get there. You can do other things and reframe your perspectives. Um, but there's multiple ways to get to that endpoint, And that has really helped me a lot. And, um, it's very good to know that my priority is, you know, my time and my own personal happiness incredible insights and and advice there uh really really holding i was hanging on every one of your words as you're describing it it's it's so true right the that happiness and that 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 line to success or that line to happiness can be achieved so many different ways and if you can figure out that sooner in life the better off you'll be to to pave your own way and and do what do what makes sense for you but Thank you so much for sharing that in the book as well. I think it's giving some insights into some others that maybe they can uh, pick pick at and take mm -hmm. away from this discussion. Then, um, so one of the other one of the other thoughts too, um, and, and clearly values are important to you as a person. And um, you know, I've, I've I've actually changed the conversation recently with with talent and young people to talk about their values and skills and less about credentials. And you know, as you think about your values. And how those align to your everyday and, and you just articulated a lot of this, but, you know, um, how have your values and skills enabled you to be successful and and uh, really kind of strive for what you want to be doing? Yeah, um, I think. If I can think of just 3 traits that come to the top of my head right away, um, I think my double edged sword is probably the competitive nature in me. Um, definitely developed by sport, um, but it has really helped me either be very competitive with a company or to be competitive with myself and knowing the difference of when to be competitive on either side. Um, <laughs> it makes me a lot more dedicated at work. It makes me really want to be the best, truly the best. And it has taken that mindset of, like, I want to be that McKinsey consultant, maybe to me trying to run you know, the best content strategy or me to do a better content strategy than a competitor, um, or for me to, you know, do it the best that the company has ever seen before, whether that be at a startup or whether it be at a, a large size company. Um, I think, you know, having that competitive spirit, um, can serve you really well. It can, it can bite you back every now and then. Um, so, you know, cause sometimes you don't always win or whatever your definition of win is. 
Um, but it definitely motivates me and I would say it makes me a pretty dedicated, um, worker. Uh, I think the next one has just been through all the opportunities that I've been given. Um, it's probably been the ability to develop some leadership and a, definitely a skill that is continuously developing. Uh, I think Simon Sinek and all of his books are great first steps to, uh, figuring out how to become a better leader for other people. Um, and I also find that this is one of the biggest sources of my own happiness. And it may be because of my ENFJ personality type, uh, it's really helping others realize their potential, um, and really being able to listen to them, hear them out and try and do everything in my power to enable that. And whether that be at the workplace, great, but I really only care about the personal side. I think that, you know, in a professional setting I could really give, don't really care for, um, how much value you might give <laughs> as an employee, but I think if I can make you a better person or help you realize that I think being a better employee somewhere might just be a great byproduct. Um, and then the last one, I think, as we've touched on before is just the ability to be empathetic with people and having that, you know, emotional intelligence and 100%, that is definitely something I've had to, you know, learn over time. Um, and both in personal and professional settings, um, I think it's helped me out a lot. I do believe that the best marketers out there, and you could almost argue this for any other profession, but at least on the marketing side, if they can truly understand the pain points and then subsequently the customer journey, uh, of their target audience, um, that can be very, very key. And I think a lot of people put the company's values first or revenue first, but, um, if you're like me and you're a content marketer and you can really put the customer at the forefront and really be of service rather than be a salesperson, nothing against sales. Um, okay. you can be really good. And then interpersonally, it has helped me really get along with, you know, I'd, I'd hope to say at least most of the people I meet, uh, and then to connect on a deeper level, um, I've come to understand, you know, the difference of when to have empathy with versus empathy for someone. Um, and that can be really helpful in, you know, your own personal relationships and even in, in the workplace. So, um, I think those are the main three. Yeah, no, those are great points. And I, I hope you're okay. Um, listening to you wanted to throw you a bit of a curveball, uh, okay. I guess with the sports talk theme, uh, but listening to what you just said and reflecting myself and thinking about. Uh, some of the things you mentioned. So specifically, let's talk about competitiveness. So have you found um, or have you encountered? So with competitiveness, usually comes assertiveness, right? And then um, and I would say subject matter expertise, I would think would be another piece that comes with competitiveness. Yeah. Um, have you ever found that having that as a skill or those combination of those things I just mentioned? Have you ever had uh, a negative reaction in someone thinking you're too, maybe not assertive, but maybe they think it's aggressive or, um, you know, recognizing your subject matter expertise and maybe not, not knowing how to balance that with their idea of what collaboration is. Um, and I just, I just, something that came to mind as you were talking and, um, and I've seen this in the workplace. So I'm just asking maybe for your opinion on, have you ever felt that or seen it or does yes. that make sense? Oh yeah, no, totally. Um, I think you need to be really good with your words here. Uh, not you specifically, but I think, you know, when you think of a competitive person in the workplace, um, I think a stereotypical one, yeah, could be a little stubborn, might not be open 
to others' opinions. And um, that just that competitive flair means, you know, they're right, you know, from a subject matter expertise perspective. It's like, yeah, I am the expert. And, you know, if you have someone else debating against you, you might not, you might not be as open-minded to their views. And, you know, I think that's where the empathy comes in and, you know, it's kind of being self-aware of your situation comes in and, you know, potentially even the leadership comes in. So I think you kind of need that balance. And I've definitely had interview questions where um, people will ask about the competitive nature in me and, you know, are, can you play in a team? Can you come to a compromise? Can you, um, be okay with the decision that's not yours? And can you be okay with, um, you know, if you're fighting for a point or a decision and it ends up not being, you know, the, the final decision at the end of the day, are you okay with that? Can you work in that type of environment? And I think anyone who is competitive out there, those are really quick questions to reflect on. Mm -hmm. And it's um, maybe something we learn in university where, yeah, you have a certain perspective, but you have to be able to be open enough to hear other people out and, be open enough to, yeah, maybe that might flip your entire decision completely or, um, you know, not enough, but it, it's knowing when to stand your ground and knowing when, you know, there's a certain it's best for the team. And are you kind of just wasting time going back and forth or does a decision need to be made? I think there's so many factors around that question. Um, but in terms of competitiveness, yes, I think you can be, you can come across as, you know, very dominant, you know, that type A type of person. But I think there's a lot of benefits of having it and it's just being able to balance all the other skills that are complementary with it. So, you know, you don't come across as stubborn. You don't come across as, you know, I can't work with this person. Um, yeah, so I think it's, yeah, that's why I said it was a double-edged sword, but the more you can tame that sword, it's less double-edged and can be very beneficial for you. Yeah. Thanks for diving deeper into that conversation. Cause I even, um, put this out on LinkedIn recently about, you know, subject matter expertise dead um, because there's so much focus now on being agile and being reskilled and re upskilled and reskilled. And, you know, I, you know, why in the business world, um, you know, is that not still something that we value? And, you know, when I think about my dentist or my doctor, I don't debate with him about my health. Not too much, <laughs> um, but, you know, I trust the doctor and I don't want a reskilled, upskilled doctor who used to be a plumber, um, working on me. No, thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm just, it's an interesting topic. It probably could be another podcast, but I, I, I liked your answers and, um, it's something I've been looking at because sometimes people don't want to be necessarily reskilled in the world, new world of work, they want to remain a doctor, or they want to remain the lawyer, or they want to remain the business analyst. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, it's an interesting topic. So thanks for going, uh, a little off there with that one. Cause I, I, I've, I've been scratching my head on this myself and, um, and I've actually seen young people who specialized in something early in their career and others who rotated across multiple experiences. And at the end of the day. They, not not either one was wrong, but each one had a different trajectory based on that initial approach to their their overall skilling and career. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. whatever. If, you know, I, I kind of relating back to the book and the, and the prototyping, and you can totally keep continue trying things out. I know a lot of people. Um, funny enough, really, at least here at SFU, I know a lot of people that really wanted to work for Deloitte and be that BA <laughs> uh, working for them or a consultant for them or, you know, other people working in accounting for the big four. 
And the second they get there, they just don't understand that that's just not something they want to do. Uh, and then it's like, I just spent my last five years really trying to get to this position, but then what next? And yeah, totally, you know, being agile and it will take some, a little bit of reflection, you know, what makes you happy? And then how can you kind of combine it with what you're good at? And for some people it's comes a lot quicker than others, but I don't think that you should stay in any profession where you're unhappy. Um, or at least you should always have an outlet where you where you can find that happiness. And if you can make that outlet or that side project, that side hustle, that thing you do on the weekends, you know, your full-time reality, I think that's, that's a sweet spot. Yeah. It all goes back to happiness, right? Um, well, that's all the time we have today. I, I truly want to thank you, Craig, for, for joining me and, and being on my first sports talk guest on the show. Um, truly an inspiration. Um, you're, you, you totally inspire me to think differently. And I've learned so many things even from our conversation today, as I hope our viewers did today as well. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Happy to Absolutely. have your insight and, and experience. Absolutely. And so for our listeners, if you've liked what you heard today, you know, please share this podcast with your network. This has been Coffee with Convery, and until next time, stay well.